As I was preparing the sermon, I wanted to use an illustration by Tony Evans. Well, I found a sermon and I read it and I found the illustration that I was looking for. I went back to writing my sermon, but as I continued to work on the sermon, it was Tony's insights and his phrasing that kept spilling over into the sermon I was writing. Tony Evans' sermon was stuck in my head. And when a sermon gets stuck in your head, that's a good sermon. So, I'm borrowing Tony's sermon this morning. I want to make sure Tony gets the credit for anything that is good that is said this morning. So I want to make sure that's known. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 29. It concludes one of the greatest sermons ever preached. Jesus Christ brings to culmination the great Sermon on the Mount, and he does so with a poignant truth about two men. These two men raise the question, what kind of foundation are we building on? These two men can be seen in terms of a comparison and a contrast, leading us to a clear conclusion. The two men shared the same vision. Note first of all in our text, the comparison between these two men. These two men had the same vision. They both wanted to build a house. Their dreams were the same. Their longings were the same. Their desires were the same. What makes these two men alike is that their view of the future was the same. They both wanted to build a house. Now, the best way to interpret their desire to build a house is to see it as their desire to build a life, a life worth living, to build a life that's significant, to build a life that is going somewhere. You could relate to it. You could relate it to building a family since families live in homes. And you could say both men wanted to have vibrant, dynamic, strong households. You're building a life. You want a life that you're proud of, that God is proud of, and that when you look back on it, you are glad. You want a a family that's strong and stable, a family that's vibrant and alive and committed. Here's another truth about these men. Both men listened to divine truth. Not only did both men have the same vision, they both went to the same seminary. Because it says, both men heard these words of mine. Both men went to the same classroom, and they had the same professor. You don't get any better than this, because in this case, the written word was communicated by the living word. Jesus himself was the professor, and both men were oriented to listening to divine truth. Both men were committed to making themselves available to divine input. We're not talking about one man having a love for hearing the word of truth, and another man a total disdain for it. We're talking about both men availing themselves to Scripture. So the comparison between these two men is that they have the same vision. They want the same to see the uh, they want to see things rise from the ground and go higher, a life, a family. And they have the same instruction, the same instructor as they avail themselves of divine truth. And notice this, both men face the same storm. That's the third comparison here. These men lived in the same neighborhood. Now, I know what you're saying. You're thinking, I've read this story, and I don't see anything about the location of the houses. They lived in the same neighborhood because they were both affected by the same storm. The description of the storm is precisely the same in both cases and affected both men. 
Both men were subject to the same storm, which meant they were in reasonable proximity to one another. Everybody here is affected by a storm. Everybody here is affected by the negative realities of life or family. Now, it may not be the same, but one thing is true of us all. We do get rained on. Life, not, life is not always sunshine. Life is not always exciting. Life has its moments of tears. We all share the same vision. We want to build something. We have the same training. We want to hear something and the same storms. We all have to face something. But there's something different about these two men. The two men possess two different characters. Those comparisons in this story are paralleled by some contrasts, some things that made these men different from one another. First of all, these men possess two different characters. Jesus calls the first man a wise man. He calls the second man a moron. The Greek word for foolish is where we get our word moron from. One is viewed as wise, a wise man who wants to build something, a wise man who gets spiritual training, and a wise man in the storm. The other man is a foolish man who wants to build something, a foolish man who exposes himself to divine truth, a foolish man in a storm. Wisdom in Scripture is the ability to take divine truth and apply it to life. The fool in Scripture is not necessarily the person who lacks information. It is the person who does little or nothing with the information received. Proverbs is full of the fool who hears but does not respond. So these two men were fundamentally different. Now don't get me wrong, they both had dreams. They both had training. They both had storms. On the outside, they would have looked like Siamese twins. But in the description given by the Lord, it says they were fundamentally different men. Here are the differences. The two men had different foundations. What contrast demonstrated the fundamental difference between these two men? It's all about the foundations. The text says that the wise man built his house upon the rock, and it says the foolish man built his house upon the sand. While both men have the same vision, while both men have the same dream, the same training, and the same storm, they did not have the same foundation. The undergirding and underpinning of their dreams, of their training, of their trials were not the same. So what's the difference between building on a foundation of rock and building on a foundation of sand? What were the two thinking that made one a fool and one a wise man? Well, when Luke tells the story in Luke chapter 6, verse 48, it says the wise men dug deeper. It costs extra money to build on rock. You can build on sand fairly cheaply. Not only is it more expensive to build on rock, it is also harder work. To build on sand takes little time and little effort. It costs time and energy and effort and additional funds if you're going to go deep. You can be half-hearted if you want to stay on top of the shifting realities. You can be quick about it on sand, but you can't go too fast on rock. This difference between the two men is fundamentally rooted in the fact that the second man, the foolish man, was building a house for show. The man building his house on rock was building a house to last. The second man was not concerned about how long the house would be there. He just wanted to make sure for however long it was there that people would want to drive by and look at it. It was for a public image. 
not for depth. Let me throw an image on the screen here for you. Does anyone know what this is? The Leaning Tower of Pisa. Do you know why the, to the tower in Pisa leans? The Leaning Tower of Pisa leans because it's located in Pisa. You see, Pisa means marshy. The tower was built in a marsh on mud. It did not have the proper foundation, and because it did not have the proper foundation, it was not able to remain stable. And every year it would lean another 1 20th of an inch, and it was built on the wrong foundation. The only thing the Leaning Tower of Pisa is good for are tourists. All it is is for show, for people to come by and look at it. Now, who does that sound like in the Sermon on the Mount? The Pharisees. All their religion was good. All their religion was good for was show. It lacked the power to transform and save. Now let's go back to the contrast of the two men. The two men experienced two different results, didn't they? The biggest contrast of them all is the results, because it says one house stood and another house fell. Not only did it fall, it fell greatly. It was a total collapse. Now, what does the Lord want us to learn? What is his fundamental point? You have to notice something in the text. If you were to drive by both men's homes, you would not discover there was a difference. If you were to talk to the men, you would not know that there was a fundamental difference. The only time you would discover there was a difference between these two men and the, and the lives, the homes, or the ministries they erected was during the storm. Only the storm reveals the nature of your foundation. As long as the sun is shining, you won't think about what you're built on. You may not care about what you're built on, but the storm, the storm has a way of letting you know what kind of foundation you're resting on. Now notice the language. In both cases, rain descended, floods came, winds blew, and burst against the house. Whenever you have rain, floods, winds, and houses being knocked down, that's a hurricane. Hurricane season came on both of them. And I wish the Christian life was really like the way that some televangelists declare it to be. Come to Jesus and it's all sunshine. Come to Jesus. He has keys waiting for you for your new BMW. Come to Jesus. He's got the house in the suburb and he's got the healing for your every disease. Man, you could build a great show house with that kind of preaching. But according to this text, there was a hurricane. Nature was unleashed, and wind and rain blew. That tells us this. Our foundations must be formed before the storms come. You have to understand something about foundations. You can't pour them when it's raining. You can't pour a foundation before it rains. You can pour a foundation after it rains, but you can't. What you can't do is pour a foundation when it is raining. Whatever foundation you're going to have, you need to get solidified before the storm. So when the storm comes, you're not in crisis. I love the story in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus tells the disciples, let us go over to the other side. Jesus laid down in the boat and he went to sleep. And the boat was filling with water because they ran into a strong winds that slapped water all around, which was slapping the boat and, and filling the boat with water. And they were in jeopardy. They were in a storm. And what was Jesus doing? He was asleep. 
What good is having a God who will go to sleep on you? When you need him most, he's snoring. When you need him most, he's chilling. Has that ever happened to you? You dial heaven only to to discover a busy signal? The key is that Jesus was asleep. The text says Jesus was asleep, quote, on a cushion, unquote. When Jesus got on the boat, he had planned to sleep. Jesus slept and the apostles panicked. Jesus' nap time threw their theology into an uproar because they said, do you not care that we perish? Don't you feel that way when you're in a storm? Lord, don't you care? How could heaven be this quiet now? When I didn't want to listen to you, Lord, you were out there preaching. Now I want to listen to you and you're sleeping. Don't you care that we perish? We're like that, aren't we? And Jesus awakened from his sleep and asked what sounds to me like an insensitive question. He asked this, why are you so timid and so easily ruffled? Jesus, we're getting ready to drown. That's why we're so easily ruffled. Now, what kind of kind of question is that? Well, Jesus comes to the front of the ship and he says, peace be still. And that's an interesting term. I would have thought Jesus would have said to the said, storm, be still. But instead, he says, peace, be still. Why would he say that? Because you see, he had told them when they had left the dock, gentlemen, we, all of us, are going to the other side. We are going to leave here and we are going to wind up on the other side. You see, storms have a way of causing you to forget what the Lord has said. Storms have a way of causing you to forget the truth of God. Storms have a way of keeping you from applying in a storm what you learn in the sunshine. Their problem was not hearing the truth. They heard Jesus say, let us go to the other side. Their problem was applying the truth in a bad situation. I like how the story ends. After Jesus quelled the storm, it says this, they became very much afraid. They were scared of the storm. And then they saw the Lord. And then they got really scared. What kind of man is this? They asked. Why does God give you a storm? Because it lets you know what kind of a foundation you're on. Only in a hurricane will you discover whether you're really resting on the truth of God or whether you're merely listening to it. There's a lot of difference between saying amen on Sunday and saying amen on Monday in a storm. There's a lot of difference in worshiping God when all is well and worshiping God when all is wrong. But if your foundation is sure, then it will be the application and not merely the information of divine truth that will hold you steady. In other words, every time you have a hurricane, God has given you a new opportunity to to demonstrate that you are resting on a sure foundation. Tony Evans tells about a cruise that he took with his wife to Alaska, and he says this, On our way back, a storm broke out, and this was the worst storm Royal Caribbean had ever had. The waves hit 50 feet high. Plates were flying. Pianos were rolling. People were throwing up. It was a messy situation. People were screaming all over the boat, and my wife became evangelically ticked off. She picked up the telephone and she said, may I speak to the captain, please? They said, ma'am, the captain's on the bridge. He can't talk to anybody right now in light of the storm. Tony's wife said this, would you please tell him? I am very upset that he would put us through this when he could have avoided this. 
He knew it was coming, and I just want to register that I am thoroughly upset about this. Well, they said, I will relay that to the captain. A few minutes later, Tony Evans' phone rang, and it was the assistant to the captain. And the assistant said this, Ma'am, we have just received your message. It was relayed to the captain, and he has asked me to call and relay two things to you. First of all, lady, go to sleep, because the captain is going to stay up, and there's no need in both of you staying awake. The second thing is this. This ship was built with this storm in mind. Long before we ever hit the storm, we knew this day was going to come. We knew there was going to be a day when we would face nature at its most vicious level. So way back when we were putting the boat together, we contemplated this moment. And this boat was constructed in such a way that on whatever day this storm came up, while it would be inconvenient, irritating, aggravating, and exacerbating, while it would be traumatic to go through, what you need to know is all of that was considered when it was constructed. So while the storm is bad, the boat is better. I don't know what storms, hurricanes, or tornadoes you will face. You're either just coming out of one or you're in one. And if not, one is around the corner waiting on you. But I do know this. This Savior was built with this storm in mind. Here is your foundation, which involves the truth of God applied to the realities of life. Foundations are not merely the information to stand on. The Word of God is not simply to have a Bible under your arm or on your coffee table. It is to have the truth of God as the modus operandi of decision-making. It's to be the core of your life. You see, what differentiated these two men, both heard, but only one did. I wish I could tell you that hearing God's Word means no storms, but that's a lie. Nothing could be further from the truth. But what I can tell you is that adhering to God's Word means that whatever storms there are, they won't have the last word. But what you can tell yourself is that when the storms of life hit, if Christ is your foundation, you will be like the man who built his house on a rock. And after the hurricane was over, his house, his life, and his family still stood. What's your foundation?